0: And we'll definitely be
1: talking about the whole issue of fake service dogs.
0: Is this problem getting worse every day? Find out from Guide Dog users how this problem is impacting the ability of Guide Dog users to travel independently
2: dog envy is something only I seem to experience between dogs. A guide dog user discusses life between guide dogs. As we were going to leave, the retired guide tried to fit himself into the much smaller dog's harness. All of this,
0: plus much more, on this edition of the GDUI Juno Report. Hi. My name is Dan Kaiser. I'm the executive producer of the GDUI Juno Report. And it's my honor to be able to bring you such a wide variety of issues relevant to guide dog users, guide dog trainers, puppy raisers, pretty much the whole community around guide dog. Sit back and relax and enjoy this action-packed half hour. It was my pleasure to talk with Penny Reeder, the current president of Guide Dog Users Incorporated. Yeah, Penny, you posted on Facebook this week a really interesting method that you saw on a video blog, and um, I wonder if you could share that uh, kind of dog handling technique with us? It
1: was uh, Patricia McConnell, uh, maybe 10 years ago. Um, she was a speaker at the GDI luncheon. And she has a blog called At the Other End of the Leash. And she's just like a wonderful person. And she knows every possible thing you can know about dogs. Apparently, she has trained um, sheep dogs. And so she just knows. And she just knows. She's got a Ph.D. and whatever that would be. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, it's a great blog. And I thought that was pretty cool. I was walking with her dog. And some of their dog was coming toward them, like racing toward them. And so um, the person with the dog who's walking the dog had a handful of treats and she just threw the treats, which totally distracted the dog that was intent on coming to say hello to them. And um, then they just walked on by.
0: What a good deterrent. So what
1: she did was she put her dog in a, a down a, a sit-stay behind her as soon as she noticed the other dog coming. And then she just reached into her pocket and threw out the treats. And that just distracted the other dog. And I think unless the dog was really intent, like a really aggressive dog, I think that could work.
2: Preaching to the Choir, Things Only Guide Dog Handlers Understand Dogless in Minneapolis by Rebecca Cragness. My nine-year-old black lab, Zane, retired on Labor Day, which seemed like a perfect day to retire. Phil was returning to work after a leg amputation, which had him hospitalized and then home for six months. Zane was a comfort to Phil as he grieved the death of his nine-year-old German shepherd guide, Garen six months older than Zane, only two days before he came home from the hospital. I worked Zane minimally for the last few weeks, but felt it was important for him to be here until Phil returned to work. Retiring Zane on Labor Day also allowed his new human, Kathleen, a retired school teacher, to make sure she could take a few days off from her part-time job to get him accustomed to his new home and his new black lab brother, four years his junior. Zane ran back and forth between me and the door as Kathleen took his things to her car. Although I still haven't seen him almost two months later as I write this, indications are he's doing very well in his new home and getting along great with Kathleen, the other lab who looks a lot like him, and the whole doggy-loving neighborhood. Zane still recognized a few things from his old life, so I have to be very careful not to leave a message on the answering machine which plays aloud in the house. He wagged his tail in pleasure when seeing one of Kathleen's neighbors, a paratransit driver he knew gave me treats to give him later. Zane checked his pockets for the goods, of course. Although it's gratifying to hear how well he's adjusting to his new home, it's also safe to say he's adjusted far more quickly to his new situation than I have. I've been through periods between dogs, as Zane is my fourth guide. However, During all of the other dogless periods, Phil had a dog. The converse was also true. I've had a dog during all of Phil's times between dogs since we married 19 years ago, so this living without dogs is new for both of us. Our waiting is different but no less difficult. Phil certainly has more things to accomplish before he can even apply for his next dog. He has to first lose the wound vac on his leg, then the wheelchair, and finally he has to be steady on his prosthetic feet for a long enough period of time to work with a dog. I'm waiting for a match, and without knowing how Phil's situation will proceed, I've asked for home training. My Juno walk was in late September, and a man from my school is trying to find a match. He warns me it could be a while, and with winter settling in in Minnesota, the weather's likely to contribute to that wait. After all, who wants to come out to Minnesota to train in the winter? We also don't know... When the wheelchair ramp, a metal surface with holes like a grate, will go away, and the man doing the Juno walk reminded me that care will have to be taken to get the dog used to such surfaces before coming here. Outdoor carpeting might solve that problem, but create others, and frankly, we hope the ramp will be gone sooner than later. Of course, there are the routines of feeding and relieving the dog, which do not happen. I remember a past time between dogs. When I asked Phil if I could take his dog out, simply to have that companionship for a moment. But currently there is no other dog. There are times when both of us have reminded each other when having a dog here might be a problem. This includes when either of us drop something, but especially Phil in his wheelchair. Zane didn't hesitate to take advantage of such opportunities to pick up a goodie or two, which landed on the floor. I'm not a lover of the outdoors, and I've noticed that as the weather has changed, I'm not as aware of it. After all, I don't have to go outside with a dog four times a day, rain or shine. There are startling moments, too, because there's no early warning system before the doorbell rings anymore. Probably the loneliest moment of the day is turning off the fireplace before going to bed. There was always a dog in front of the fireplace. And during my last dogless period, Garin made sure to be with me by the fire after Phil fell asleep. Paws always audibly accompanied me to our bedroom for the night. Dog envy is something only I seem to experience between dogs in the past. It was difficult seeing Phil interact with his dog and knowing I didn't have that kind of relationship. Again, because Garin was such a lover dog, he made sure I always felt included. My view about envy of Phil with a dog in public will be different now that I've experienced this. I used to wish people wouldn't pay so much attention to him and his dog and ignore me without one. But now we're both ignored in public situations. It's like we're on an island all by ourselves, surrounded by people. I had a friend who seemed to avoid seeing me when she didn't have a dog. She told me later it was just too painful to see me with a dog and not have one herself. I definitely understood. Phil and I are the opposite because we are so used to living with dogs Any time we can get our hands on one. We love it. It's like a cold drink on a summer's day after being thirsty for hours. As a couple, we are identified as having our dogs, and for the past 18 years, our Christmas letters have been written from the perspective of one or both of our dogs, usually to the tune of a Christmas carol. Doing it this way has lightened the tone when we've had a crummy year. And I have no idea how we are going to outline probably the crummiest year we've had without a dog's point of view to make it fun. Then there's the method of travel. Okay, I confess. My cane is my stupid stick. It's not only because it's far more stupid than a guide dog. I feel more stupid using it than walking with a dog. I am an okay traveler, but I feel clumsy when clanging and banging things in my path or trying to extricate my cane from something. Far worse are those uncomfortable moments passing someone in a hallway or on a sidewalk and trying not to trip them. There are even times when the cane can get caught in feet or tap someone traveling the same direction as I am. Because I don't use a cane often, I am much more aware of the awkwardness sighted people feel when having physical contact with one. I remember profusely apologizing after tapping the leg of another cane user in our state services for the blind building, and she said, Why are you apologizing? It's only your cane. I'm apologizing because I'm used to traveling through life without having to tap anyone with anything, even following Phil with someone pushing his wheelchair can get dicey if I am too close. In this situation, the cane has the potential to get tangled in even more things between the person's feet and all the stuff on Phil's chair. Sometimes I can be much more comfortable with sighted guide, and certainly I can feel the steps if the person doesn't alert me to them. Even though I've taken my share of falls with my dogs, they key into those little things sighted guides often don't. Like the big crack after stepping into the street where I twisted my ankle and fell. One week after sending Zane to his new home, Kathleen's sister invited me to an outdoor bakery to see Zane. I tried to tell her how difficult it would be for both of us having to part again. I've never had the pleasure of having a current and retired guide interact, but... I witnessed Phil's new and retired guide meeting after four months. As we were going to leave, the retired guide tried to fit himself into the much smaller dog's harness, and it was heartbreaking for us and the retired dog's new family. I'm not sure Kathleen and her friends quite understand my hesitation to see Zane, and despite my efforts, I can't seem to explain it well. I have told them about the confusion it might cause for Zane, and it's important to me that his bond with Kathleen is much stronger than the bond he remembers with me. Frankly, without a dog myself, it would be very hard on me, too. When I have my new guide for a few months and the bond is progressing, it'll be a joy to see Zane again. Then I'll be able to leave with my new dog by my side and avoid the emptiness I'd feel now after a visit."
0: Now here's Bob Acosta talking about bon voyage into the sunset and how you can go along. We're very excited about the cruise. This, again, is uh, not a first. We've had them before. Um, we're using the Norwegian breakaway ship to Bermuda, a one-week cruise, October 9th to 16th. Uh, we have to pay our transportation. It's going to be uh, leave New York. The, 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 uh, state, uh, docking station there. We go week. Um, and again, this, this time I'll give you Sarah's number is a good one to call, but I'll throw in another number. Uh, and it's 877-416-9722, extension 4398 and ask for Michelle. She'll pick it up and say, I wanna know more about the cruise. I could go over all the details, but uh, I don't think time permits here, but we're really excited. It's to benefit GDUI, but we welcome everybody. One of the big issues impacting guide dog users is that of fake service animals having public access. We talked to President Penny Reeder of Guide Dog Users Incorporated about her feelings on this subject.
3: I think the impact is kind of twofold. I think the prevalence of fake service animals, sometimes who are out of out of control and behave badly, makes business owners reluctant to welcome us with our legitimate service animals. For one thing, they can't really tell the difference. A fake service animal might come with a, an ID tag or, or an ID card or some kind of a cape or some kind of a vest. And even though that might have been purchased by the pet owner on the internet, um, the business owner doesn't have any way of knowing that. So they can't really tell the difference. So if, um, Fifi goes into the grocery store and jumps out of the cart and bites somebody or eats a pastry off the shelf or does some other unacceptable behavior, that store owner is going to be less likely to welcome us with our service animals, even though our dogs are well, well behaved and usually and well trained. And if they're not well behaved, we, we know we have the responsibility to remove them and to make amends. Um, so that's one thing. I think it makes, it's confusing and it makes business owners reluctant to be happy about our coming in. And the other thing that happens is that sometimes, uh, pets who are not trained to behave well or who have never been to a, an unusual location like a movie theater or an airport, can be out of control and can um, even attack our service dogs. I know of two people whose dogs have been attacked um one very serious seriously at an airport. Um, I know of someone um, one of our, our our guide dog school liaison's dog was attacked at a grocery store a couple of years ago by a uh so called emotional support animal that was riding in a stroller, and the Whoa. emotional support animal jumped out of the stroller. Ran over and attacked Jack um very close to his eye it could have been much more serious than it was although it was really serious so that's the other thing they pets pets who don't um get the training that our dogs get can be out of control and can be dangerous
0: so what is what is GduI doing to mitigate this issue
3: the Advoc- advocacy committee met. The chair of our advocacy committee is Becky Barnes-Davidson. We have a lot of great people on that committee, uh, including Ginger Kutch. And we met um, because there's been a prolifer- proliferation in the last couple years of bills in various state legislators legislatures um, that are attempting to address this problem through any fake service animals. Um, I know in Arizona... Uh, Last year and again this year, there was a bill introduced uh, to try to curb this um, influx of pretend service animals, Uh, but the bill would have been very punitive for everybody, including real service animal owners. Um, The the service animals were required under this proposed legislation to be certified, Uh, we don't know by whom, but every year at the uh, owner's expense. Uh, they would have had to wear some kind of a vest or a cape that not only identified them as a service animal, but listed the name of the trainer uh, or the school. And as you know, a lot of, um not a lot, but certainly some guide dog users train their own dogs and do a fine job of it. So I don't know what those people would have had to do. And that bill was very punitive. And there have been other similar examples in other states. So that's why we met because GDY needs to respond. The policy statement is available from GDY on GDY Letterhead. Um, we have been encouraging our members and our affiliates to share it with local business owners and um, chambers of commerce, and we're going to step up that effort. That's one approach. Uh, second approach is that we're going to, uh, the committee, um, with the help of others, we're going to write a model law to address the problem of pretend service animals. Uh, and then our members and their affiliates can make the text of that model le- proposed model legislation available to their own legislators. And that way we can make sure that these um, laws that get proposed and introduced, uh, for one thing, that they don't violate the Americans with Disabilities Act, because that's the law that has the clout. A state law can't violate a federal law. Um, and we're going to make sure that, um, we, um, are reasonable in what we expect, uh, service centers to do to, to protect our, our rights. So we're not going to, the ADA, um, says specifically that, uh, service animal users can't be required to show an ID. So these state bills can't do that either. Um, it's the problem, and we're just, we're gonna work very hard to address it in a way that's fair to, um, people who have uh, service dogs of all kinds, and, um, fair to the business owners. And it discourages the pet owners from doing this. Uh, a few years ago in Los Angeles, I don't remember what county, but I know it was in California, and I think it was in the county where Los Angeles is. There was local legislation that uh, imposed a penalty on people who pass off their pets as service animals and pretend that they have disabilities when they don't. And when the law was passed, they, uh, the county, I think it was a county, or the, or the municipality, it put was, up... Po-
0: it was Los Angeles County.
3: It, they put up posters everywhere, uh, and the posters simply said, if you pretend you have a disability and you don't and you have a a dog and pretend it's a service dog and it isn't, then you will be fined. And it listed the amount of money. Um, And I think there was even a possibility of jail time. And that made a huge difference, just the fact that that was being advertised and that the public was seeing it everywhere. The number of fake service dog incidents decreased decreased dramatically in the next 18 months um, somebody did a study so we would hope that um, just the passage of a bill with the possibility of advertising that there is a big penalty including a lot of money and maybe even jail time we're hopeful that that will diminish the whole problem so that will also be addressed by the by the um, model law and the third thing we're going to do is we're going to have a panel at our convention this summer. You know, GDY has a convention along with ACB in Minneapolis this year, and we're going to have a panel on this very subject. Um, I don't know which of the many experts we're going to invite is going to be able to come, but I hope that we get lots of attendance from people at ACB's convention as well as GDY's convention.
0: Uh, and and the, we should uh, we should mention the website too, where people can get more information.
3: The website for guide for GDY is yeah. guide, www.guidedogusersinc, all one word, .org.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, now you're in the doghouse yeah. with me, Dan. And today, my tip for getting out of the doghouse is simple. If you want to keep your dog occupied, let's say you've gone off for four hours to a family event and they have food out on the tables and you just don't want to hassle with having your dog at the whatever event that might be, and you want to leave them at home, keep them occupied on tie-down for four hours? Well, you take a cured bone, and one of the uh, accepted safe cured bones that has sort of hollowed out uh, in the middle of the bone, it's sort of hollowed out. You put peanut butter in it, and you freeze it, and it takes about four hours for the dog to lick all the peanut butter out, out of the cured bone. And it keeps him busy, and believe me, when you get back after four hours, that bone is completely clean, and the dog is tired because it's been working for four hours. Make sure, by the way, that it's a name brand, a well-known name brand, peanut butter. Otherwise, there are some elements in off-brand peanut butter that is harmful to your yeah. dog. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'd like to comment on anything you hear on this show or leave tips or comments or pointers, you can call the Juno line. The Juno line can be reached by dialing 916-250-2629. Toll rates apply. Will Burley now discusses the legal issues around service animals.
4: I'd like to welcome Leah Davis. How are you? Hi, Will. I'm doing
5: well. Thanks for having me.
4: Oh, I'm glad that you agreed to join me here on GDY's very first show. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do.
5: Sure. I am a lawyer at Disability Rights Texas.
4: A lot of the discussion... um, this past year or two years has been this track of uh, fake service animals. So I guess uh, for our listeners and for those that don't have a, a guide dog or a service a service animal, what is a, ser- a service animal as defined by the law? So under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the
5: ADA, a service, a service animal is defined as a dog that has been individually trained to do work or perform tasks for an individual with a disease. and the task performed by the dog must be directly related to the person. There is, interestingly, a narrow exception uh, that in some cases it does not need to be a dog. The the service animal could actually be a miniature horse. That's a very narrow exception, and there are not that many miniature horse uh, service animals, though they do provide good stability and guidance for some individuals who require it, given that the miniature horse is so stout. And then the other advantage is that miniature horses live a very long time, so could provide service for many. But that's just
4: a narrow exception in the ADA, because otherwise a service animal must be. What can uh, a business owner ask me about my service animal? Or can they ask anything?
5: Well, that's a good question. And yes, they can ask you um, two questions back. The first is that they can ask you, is this a service animal required accessibility? And the second question they can ask is, What work or task has this animal been trained to do to a disability? So those are the two questions they can ask to determine whether or not this is servicing. They cannot ask what your disability is. They cannot ask a information, paperwork, um, anything of that nature. They cannot ask that your dog demonstrates the task or work that it's been trained. And so really they are limited to those two
4: questions because those two questions should give the business owner enough information to determine whether or not. What are some steps that you know, our list could take if say, they're at that grocery store and um, they um, give the information that the business owner still was, doesn't want to allow them inside the business.
5: Practically, in that situation, the, the individual with a service animal has a couple of choices. They can try, if they would like, to try to educate the business owner. You know, the, the DOJ has a handout. They could try to provide that handout to the owner. Um, that's really up to the individual. They're not required to do that. That's not something that the law says that, okay, if the business owner is not allowing them in the business, then they provide them with a DOJ handout. That's not something that, um, that, it, that the law says, of course. But it's really up to the individual to determine how they may want to advocate for themselves. They do have rights, of course, if they've been excluded to file a complaint with the Department of Justice, DOJ, um, or to file a, a lawsuit as well, a civil lawsuit. In the state of Texas, there is uh, a, a law, and this is specific to Texas, that actually makes it a misdemeanor to, um, to deny individuals the right to servicing. And so you could file a complaint, actually, a complaint regarding the denial and there are um, fines and also community service that could be associated with denying someone access to a business, a public accommodation, because of this. In the apartment housing context, you're usually looking at the Fair Housing Act. That's what applies to um, the private areas of the apartments or the housing. Under the Fair Housing Act, which is a different law than the ADA, different law than the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Fair Housing Act provides that uh, a housing provider should provide reasonable accommodation. Under that reasonable accommodation, an emotional support animal, which is different than a service animal, could be considered a reasonable accommodation. So that could be somebody who has a cat that um, lives with them in their apartment and helps alleviate the symptoms of their depression. Now, the cat may not be trained to do anything other than just to you know, be a cat and, and, and sit with their, uh, with their owner and provide some emotional comfort. But that person would be allowed to have the emotional support animal with them in the housing context if they go through the reasonable accommodation process in the housing context. So, one, in the housing context, it's considered a reasonable accommodation, which is a slightly different process than just going into a business and being um, allowed to be asked those two questions. Um, But, two, in in the apartment housing context, the type of animal that's allowed. It doesn't need to be individually trained. It can be, like I said, it could be a cat. It could be a dog that has no training whatsoever. Um, but this dog just provides emotional support to someone. I think the key difference in the housing context versus uh, when you're out in public, housing is where you live. That is where you are all the time. Whereas if you're going to the grocery store, you might be in there for 45 minutes, and so that's why the the standard is higher in business context um, because it's a shorter it's a shorter interaction, and so they're trying to make sure that this is a service animal that's going with them, that, that they need to be used in public. Whereas in housing, since you're there all the time, you don't have just the 45 minutes in and out of your housing. Uh, the, the standard
4: is <coughs> such that an emotional
5: support animal would be allowed in the housing context.
4: Well, thank you so much, Leah, for stopping by our very first DDY uh, radio show. Okay, very good. Thank you so much
0: for having me. A great thanks go out to GDUI contributors for this edition of the Juno Report, Penny Reader and Will Burley. Also, a great thanks go out to Leah Davis, Disability Rights Texas. Also, thanks to Rebecca Cragness for her article, Preaching to the Choir. The ingredient mentioned in peanut butter that was bad for dogs is... Xylitol, that's X-Y-L-I-T-O-L. We'd like to hear your comments about this show and some other upcoming show ideas that you may have, or tricks and hints related to your handling of guide dogs. You can call our Juno line at 916-250-2629. That's 916-250-2629. 9. For the GDUI Juno Report, this has been Dan Kaiser.